Celebration Church. We're glad that you've joined with us today uh, in our service. We want to welcome everybody here as well as all those who watch us across northern Wisconsin on television, our campus over in Stevens Point, uh, those who watch down in the cafe, just those who watch via the internet. Lots of people uh, enjoy these services and worship with us even though they're not physically here and we're glad that you're all part of this today. All right. Um, has anybody noticed the uh, satellite dish? back behind the church there yeah it's kind of cool our satellite uplink it's kind of weird looking isn't it looks like a big badge or something like that back there but it's it's allowing us to uh, we're, we're running a test this morning to zap up into space bounce off a satellite and then it bounces down and covers the entire country and uh and we're going to be using this as a way of starting our new satellite uh, outreaches around the state. Actually, you can do it all over the country because anybody with a satellite dish can receive the signal. And uh, so they'll be running some tests on that this morning and then next Sunday we'll do a, an actual live test and wave at our guys in Stevens Point and, and see how all of that goes. But it's kind of exciting stuff. Um, before I get into today's message this morning, I, I got this cute little email I wanted to read to, to you. I, th I thought it was a lot of fun. It was, it's called The Best Poem in the World. And here's the poem. I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all, nor the lights or its decor, but it was the folks of heaven who made me sputter and gasp, the thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, and the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus. What's the deal? I'd love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd be seeing you. <laughs> this morning, a message entitled Christianity's Lost Message. Now, last week I brought a message entitled The Law of Reciprocity, and I subtitled it, Or How to Love a Big Fat Stinking Jerk. But we talked about how you can take control of your relationships by the, being the first one to give. Talking about the laws of sowing and reaping, Newton's law. For every action, there has to be an equal and opposite reaction. If you will love people and act in kindness, it will demand kindness in return. We read the scripture from Galatians that says, let us not become weary in doing good. Why? Because it's something that will make you weary. Because a lot of times the results don't happen quickly. Don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest, the Bible says, if we do not give up. So it takes encouragement and endurance to stay free from the wrong end of the action-reaction cycle. Because while you're sowing acts of kindness, the person skilled in evil will be sowing acts of evil. While you are refusing to respond to the acts of evil, 
they will be refusing to respond to your acts of kindness. And as I said last week, what's worse is your acts of kindness will usually inspire the evil person to even get meaner. It becomes a battle of control. And I, 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 I threw out this question, who's going to win? The good flowing from you or the evil flowing from them? Good always wins if it is sown consistently for a sufficient length of time. That's what the Bible teaches us. Of course, how long is that? And as I said last week, it just depends on how hardened the person is that you're dealing with, how mean they are, how entrenched they are, and how stubborn they are. Some people are really tough, and it takes a long time for them to come around. I also shared last week, you know, a lot of us were in different areas of growth in our Christianity. You know, some of us are just getting out of kindness kindergarten, and we're up against people with PhDs and mean, rotten scoundrel. And it's hard, and it, and it can be quite the challenge. And as you can see, we're involved in a struggle, a conflict between good and evil, kindness versus meanness. And this is where the believer's secret weapon comes into play. And I left you hanging last week. Made you come back today to hear what that secret weapon is. And the secret weapon is this. Get dead. <laughs> Galatians, the second chapter, Paul writes this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Wow. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This was Paul's ultimate weapon. This was the message of early Christianity. It is the message we do not hear today in Christianity. I am crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. The person you see living here is Christ living in me. You say, man, how do you do that? He goes on to say, he says, because I do that because I trust God, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What's fascinating about that, it's one of the few places uh, in the New Testament, actually it's the only one I, I could think of offhand, where Paul makes it really personal. Often talks about Christ dying for the world and God so loved the world and we know God loved everybody. Of course, he doesn't love me, but he loved everybody, da, da, da. But this is where he makes it personal. How can I do that? How can I surrender and say, I don't live anymore. God is living in me. I don't care what I need anymore. God is living in me. How do you do that? Because you become convinced that this God, this, this King of Kings, Lord of Lords, gave himself for me, died for me. When you really understand that this is personal, that Jesus Christ has a personal interest in you. That he died for you. He gave himself for you. You can trust him. And you can surrender to him. And trust him to bring the best for you. Now before you engage in this battle of kindness versus meanness. You have to make sure you've died to selfishness. You see if you've died you won't care. Whether there's a response to what you're doing or not. The part of you that worries about, what if I get taken advantage of? That part will be dead. And dead people don't mind being taken to the cleaners. Dead people can handle almost anything. They're extremely patient. <laughs> you can make fun of them. You can poke them with sticks. They never get mad. Why? They're dead. God promises to bless those who give their lives away in this way. It's what Jesus did. Jesus refused to assert his rights and chose instead to die on a cross. And when he did it, it looked like he was the loser. All of hell was laughing, saying, we got him. We got him! 
the people who crucified him and engineered his crucifixion stood at the cross and the Bible says they laughed at him. They mocked him. I mean, how cruel, I mean, how, how mean do you got to be to see a person being physically ravaged as Jesus was and nailed to a cross and hanging there gasping for air and you're standing at the foot laughing at them. I mean, even if you wanted the guy dead, you've really got to be rotten to be sitting there mocking, scorn, laughing, hurling insults, the Bible says, as he's dying on the cross. It certainly looked like this act of surrender makes you a loser. Look at him. What a joke. He could heal other people. He can't do anything for himself. If he's the son of God, let him come down. But it was this very act of surrender that allowed God now to raise him up. And now every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords because of that sacrifice. Because of that sacrifice, you're here this morning. This, empower, this empowering came from this great sacrifice. The Bible says, therefore, because of Jesus' sacrifice, God highly exalted him. Okay, the feeling that you're being exploited or taken advantage of when you're dying to selfishness is not uncommon. You feel like you're a loser. You feel like you're dying. Pastor, I'm trying. I'm trying this relationship. I'm trying to be nice. He's so mean. He's so mean. I'm dying here. What do I do? Hurry up and die and you won't care anymore. But I'm losing. No, no, no. The opposite will occur. God will exalt you and you will not be exploited. When you refuse to act selfishly and choose instead to give to others, you are releasing God's power in your life. Peter wrote about it this way. He said, clothe yourself in humility. He says, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you'll humble yourselves, God will exalt you. But we think the opposite. We think, if I'm going to get what I need, I need to fight for my rights. I need to fight for my position. I need, I, need to, I need to stand up for myself. And we hear that all the time. Stand up for yourself. Don't let people push you around. When in reality, the key to success is to be willing to die and let God be God through you and let him raise you up. You say, well, dude, that's, that's tough. Yeah, this is real tough. This is, this is advanced Christianity we're talking about this morning. This is hard to pull off. But if you want God to get involved in your struggle with the jerks of the world in your life, you have to be willing to die to yourself. This is one of the most powerful things you can do to move any relationship towards success. Jesus told us about this. He says in, in, in the Gospels, he said, I tell you the truth. Why would he have to say that? He says, because he knows nobody will believe him. <laughs> I'm about to tell you something you're not going to believe. Everybody who hears this, come on. So he starts right out. Listen, I'm telling you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man, and he goes on, he says, the man who loves his life will lose it. That's the irony of this, the, the craziness of this. The harder you hold on to what you want, the less likely you will get it. But he says, while the man who hates his life, doesn't mean literally hate, despise, but in the sense that you're willing to let your life go, 
The man who hates his life in this world will what? Will keep it for eternal life. Don't miss this. Don't ask God to change people so that they will treat you better. Ask God to help you accept your death and it won't matter how other people treat you. This message this morning is being inspired by my own personal struggles that I was going through some weeks back. One Sunday morning I got up, I was so depressed, so bummed out, so discouraged, I could barely breathe and pressed forward and preached anyway. And I shared with you because I, I got a big mouth and I share everything anyway. And I hate being phony. I hate being plastic. And if I'm struggling, I'm going to tell you I'm struggling. And I did that morning. And I've, I, I received so many tons of positive responses from people trying to encourage me, saying, we love you. And I know that. I know that. But honestly, well, I'll tell you what, the Lord just beat the snot out of me over the next couple of weeks after that. Man, dude, you don't need people treating you better. You need to die. What happened to the crucified life? And I know better than I go, Oh, you're right, you're right. It's not about how people treat us. We're not supposed to care. The more you care, the more bummed out in life you will be. The more discouraged you will be. The higher you set your expectations, the more miserable you are. And almost consistently, you find the most miserable people, talk to them and listen to them, and they will give you a laundry list of how life has not been fair to them. Because I expected this, and I expected this, and I expected this. And the higher they put the bar, the more depressed they are. The more discouraged they are, and they hang on to what they want, and they demand what they want, and I should get what I want. Dude, if you do that, you are going to be miserable. Particularly in your relationships with other people. Particularly in really close relationships, like with children, or with your spouse. The people who are the most miserable in their marriages are the ones who have the highest expectations. It's one of the reasons people are so stinking miserable today in their relationships. Men who go into marriage thinking, this is great, I'll ever have everything I ever need now. You're on drugs. <laughs> Women who think, this will be great, this will be wonderful. I, I got this guy, he'll meet all the emotional needs of my life. the people who are the most miserable stop already the ones who are the happiest let it go you say well I can't do that I can't just let it go you're right but God never intended you to do this on your own power you see Christianity is not so much your responsibility as it is your response to his ability his enabling power in you you see what he commands, he enables, he energizes us to do. He promises to equip us in every good thing to do his will, working in that which is pleasing in his sight. Paul wrote about this in the Philippians, uh, the second chapter, verse 13. Don, I have this in the Amplified. I don't know if you, do you have the Amplified? You do? Oh, well, there you go. She's a smart chick. There we go. Not in our own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectively at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He will energize you. He will give you the power that you need. We may not be able to commit to love with an unwavering tennis, 
tenacity in our own strength. But God promises that if we will develop the habit of looking to him instead of to ourselves, when we unconditionally love other people, he will empower us. He will strengthen us. Now this message of early, uh, that was in, in early Christianity was, was, uh, was so strong. You know, when you read a scripture like, you know, I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I don't live anymore, but Christ lives in me. When you read something like that, it's almost like an obscure verse today. Wow, I never heard of that. Oh, wow, I never thought about that. But I'm telling you, in early Christianity, this was the message. They all got this. This is what empowered them to do what they did. We read in the book of Acts how these guys gave away everything. And we think, how could they do that? Because they were dead. Dead people don't need anything. They were persecuted. How did they hold up underneath all that? Because they were constantly, when they came to Jesus, they understood this is a complete connection and identification with his death. Something we don't think about today. How could they withstand the threats and the deaths that came to their ranks? When people took them and ripped their children from them and threw them to lions and threw them into the fire, some of them were boiled alive. How could you do that? How could you do that? I'm telling you, because at some very real level, they would look at them and they'd say, I'm already dead. You can't kill me. I let go of what I wanted a long time ago. I am completely crucified with Christ. Sure, I'm alive. But what's living in me is Christ's power. A changed individual. That's what we celebrate when we take communion every Sunday. It should be a constant reminder. I am crucified with Christ. Am I crucified? Am I dead? Or I am so concerned about what I want. Look what it says here in Romans when Paul writes. This this whole idea of salvation. Even the idea of baptism. It was all about this idea of dying. Paul writes, he says, what shall we say then? Because he's talking about God's grace. Because there's so much sin. There's so much of God's grace. And then he's got to answer. He said, what shall we say? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. King James says, God forbid. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I'll answer that, Paul. Today? No, we don't know. We didn't even talk about this hardly ever. Today, the message of Christianity, God wants to bless you. God wants to make you happy. God wants to prosper you. You send me $25, God's going to make you a millionaire. God wants you happy. God wants you to be as happy as you can possibly be. He wants to be happier than a drunken monkey. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. That's what we preach today. And what it's got a warm and fuzzy to it, and there is a message in there that God does care about you. He does want you blessed. I get that. I understand that. But he, hold on a minute. This ain't about you. I met a man recently in California, looks at me, he, he left his wife and children, just left them hanging. And he's sitting in church, listening to me. I said, what'd you do? He said, well, I left my family and stuff like that, and you know, they don't treat me with respect. My children don't treat me with respect. And my wife, she don't treat me with respect. He, he said, what should I do? I said, you should go back to your family. And he goes, What? God doesn't want me to be unhappy. I looked at him and said, who told you that? Who told you God doesn't want you to be unhappy? There's times when God asks stuff from you that will make you incredibly miserable. 
When Peter was being crucified upside down, that was a bad day for him. <laughs> Dying to self hurts. It's painful. It's not about you being happy. God doesn't set aside his rules. God doesn't set aside his righteousness. God doesn't set aside his principles. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Yeah, ordinarily, but God wants me to be happy. So I'm pretty happy doing this. Well, you idiot. This is where we're at in Christianity today. You can preach almost on any subject of righteousness today. But everybody has this right to trumpet. They think in their head, well, yeah, but God doesn't want me to be unhappy. I shouldn't have to do the right thing, not if it makes me unhappy. Then we wonder why we're in the mess that we're in today. Don't you know that those of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Yeah, Paul, we don't know that today. It was so assumed, that's why he said, don't you know? Because they talked about this all the time. There were people running around saying, man, if you follow Jesus, he's just going to make you so happy, and it's going to be so great, and it's, it's just, we're just going to have a party and clap and, and sing kumbaya all day long. <laughs> Are you kidding? These people were smart. They got it. Can you imagine sitting in a coliseum watching these people called Christians being thrown to the lions and ripped asunder and having all the property taken from them and being humiliated in every conceivable way? And someone comes to you, would you like to be a Christian? Do you think they even thought for a second, wow, this will make me happy? But yet by the tens of thousands they came to Christ because they wanted forgiveness of sins. They wanted the life of God in them and they knew chances are this is going to cost me dearly. But when I get baptized, I am totally identified with the death of Christ. I am crucified with Christ. We were therefore buried with him through baptism, he goes on to write, into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. There's the trade-off. If you will die, you will now walk in newness of life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. You can't have one without the other. We all want the resurrection. We all want the blessing. We all want the empowerment. but I don't want to give up what I want. No, it doesn't work that way. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. You see how he talks? It's like, this is, we all know this stuff. <laughs> Not today we don't. Some of you are shocked right now. What? The Bible says that. We know our old self was crucified with him so that our body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. That's right. Dead people don't sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, this is the one I want you to, you should memorize this. I've had this verse memorized for 35 years. And when I walk in victory, I always quote this verse to myself. And I had to quote it to me, myself, pulling out of this funk that I was in. In the same way, count yourself dead. I have it memorized in the King James because that's what I grew up with. Reckon yourselves dead. I reckon. Sometimes we just got to reckon. What do y'all reckon this morning? I reckon you're an idiot. I don't understand what you're saying. Reckon what? Reckon yourselves dead to sin. When I start getting myself mad, I got to say, shut up, you're dead. 
What if I getting hurt? Well, like somebody says something, I've got to say, shut up, you're dead. Dead people don't care. I always have to ask myself, when I start getting really frustrated and stuff, I say, if they would have had my funeral yesterday, how would I feel today? <laughs> Honestly, that's what I literally do. Try it. When you feel yourself getting frustrated and this and that, ask, if we just had a wonderful funeral for you yesterday and we cried and we had flowers and we sang songs and put pictures of you and just it was wonderful, how would you feel right now about the situation? You would not care. That's the way we should live. It's called complete surrender. And it's hard. But today it's, it's not about that. It's about what I want, 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 what I want. This emphasis so much today in our culture on feelings. What do you feel? What do you really feel? And we see this everywhere in our culture today. And I'm, I'm going to talk about something that's like the third rail here in Green Bay. And I do this with fear and trembling. I love this city. I love you people. I love our football team. I love Brett Favre. He's been the epitome of what a man should be. Talk about a manly man, a man who fights through his struggles and does the right thing and even through his struggles of pain addictions and this, that, and the other. And what he has done will keep him at the top of football history probably forever. But I am so disappointed by what has happened recently. And the reasoning is, well, I, I, I just feel different today. What? I feel differently? When does this become a standard for men today? And I'll tell you, it's the standard in men today. It's one of the things we're going to talk about in our Manly Men Conference. One of the things about being a manly man is we stop living by how we feel. There's thousands of guys watching me on TV today, right now, this minute. And the reason not in their church, for no other reason, they just don't feel like it. I don't, I don't feel like it. There's guys who don't help around the house at all. And you know what their overwhelming logic is that seems perfectly reasonable to them? I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I don't, I don't feel like it. This is a standard today? It's not a standard. It's like life has turned into this gigantic Oprah show. Say, so, well, if you change your feel, oh, well, if you change your feelings, that's different, you know. And listen, this guy will not be remembered for what's happening right now. I promise you, he deserves all the respect in the world, and he's earned it. But this, you know, all, whoever is advising him, friends, family, whatever, is not serving him well. We don't just turn on a whim because our feelings are different today. We don't stay with it. There's guys this morning who are walking out on their families. For no other reason, they just don't feel like being there anymore. They're abandoning their children because they just don't feel like being there anymore. They're breaking their vows and committed adultery last night. Why? Because they just don't feel like keeping them. Well, in a culture like that that we live in, is it any doubt that it's poisoned those of us of faith? And while we cannot control what's happening out there in the pagan culture in which we live, in the church we have got to make a stand and say no doesn't matter how I feel. I'm going to do the right thing separate from what I feel. And at times it feels like you can't. It seems like your feelings are, it's the real you, but it's not. They're just feelings. And at the end of the day, we need to do what's right. And the key to this, I'm telling you the secret weapon to this for a believer, is to live a life that says, I am crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. 
but Christ lives in me. It's a struggle. It is hard. It is difficult. It is the greatest challenge you'll live in faith. But here's the crazy thing about it. You cannot really live this victoriously if you don't do this. This is the key. You can't do this if you can't die to yourself. All my life, any turnaround I've had in my life is because I had to get to this place. And it's like you constantly do it over and over again. It's like a bad horror flick, you know, where the guy dies, but then he comes back and you thought he was dead. I was just watching, you know, Bruce Willis the other night, some rerun of, uh, what was that movie? Uh, what was it, Die Hard? Remember the first Die Hard? The guy, he's strangled. He's hanging on the chain. He puts a chain around his neck on the website. Now, pretty much when you get a chain wrapped around your neck and you're hanging, you're pretty much dead. All right? Well, at the end of the movie, the guy comes back out again. It's like, how do you do that? You're pretty much dead. But you all of a sudden wake up and say, what am I doing here? How do I get up here and unwrap you? Just come down and get a shotgun and go after Bruce Willis? How do you do that? But it's like that. It's like we die to ourselves and that thing keeps coming back. It keeps, you know, thriller. You know, dead keep rising, man. But we got to keep stomping on it and say, No. almost 50 years of age, just not very many years ago. The greatest desire in my heart was to preach and to teach and to talk to people and share and inspire people. But nobody in the world cared what I had to say. And by every measurable standard, you'd have to say at 45, 46 years of age, it's pretty much over for you. Who's going to now start listening to you I remember going to a conference and I was I guess 46, 47, something like that and I remember just standing there off at night by myself, by a little gate we were in California and this pastor's conference and I thought to myself, I have blown it I have blown it I took a left one, I should have taken a right in my life, actually that would be left and then right I should have gone this way and I went this way and it's too late for me and I blew it and, and I remember talking to the Lord and said, God, I so wanted this. I know you put this in my heart, but I blew it. I got in other directions. I got out of ministry. I dropped the ball in so many areas of my life. What I want so bad, I guess I'll never have. And I remember standing there 40 some years of age crying by this gate and saying, God, I guess it'll never happen. And you know what, God, it's okay. I don't care. I let it go. I let it go. If I'm just a little church piano player for the rest of my life, that's okay with me. And I meant it. And I died that day to what I wanted more than anything else in my life. And from that moment on, all of a sudden, my life started changing. And what I'm doing today it's a complete freak of nature. How do you go from nothing to all of a sudden what I'm able to do today and how God's opening doors and as I travel all over the country speaking in people's lives, I'm having more fun than should be legally allowed. <laughs> and people keep looking at me and saying, well, how do you do all that? You can't do that. Really? I didn't know I couldn't do that because I've been doing it. And I'm amazed. No one's more shocked about what's happening in my life than me. And you know why God finally gave me what I always wanted? Because I died and I surrendered it. And I said, I don't care anymore. 
This is the key in life. We have got to, and I'm telling you, you got to keep coming back. That's why I was bummed out a few weeks ago. You, you dead guy drives, comes back out of the ground again. You got to kill it. This is the key. If you will get this, I'm telling you, this will set you free. And it will allow you to succeed in any relationship, in any situation you're failing. And if you'll just die to yourself. I want the ushers to come at this time and get ready for communion. This last week, I got what is arguably one of the most wonderful cards I'd ever gotten from anybody. A lady in our church who sent me, she made up this card, a gigantic picture on the front, smiling like this. And on top it says, I got it! And you open it up and she starts sharing the story of how she so desperately wanted a child and she couldn't have a child and she couldn't have, she was so bummed out and discouraged. And she heard me preach a sermon kind of along these lines back around Christmas time about loving the giver more than the gift. Dying to, the, if, if you want something more than you want Jesus, he'll never bless you with it. Why? Because commandment number one, you shall have no other God before me. He's not going to give you something that you want more than him. And she said, that message set me free and I died to that. I let it go. And then you open it up and there's this great big picture of her and she's pregnant. <laughs> Put a big, you know, arrow with baby pointing. I, I figured it was a baby or she ate too much. <laughs> with this gigantic smile on her face. I got it. Surrender. It's surrender. Total surrender to him is what brings us life. That's what we should be reflecting on every time we take communion. People say, why well, take communion every Sunday? This is it. This is what this is about. Identification. Have you been crucified with Christ? Are you dead this morning? Or is it you want so important that God's a side issue in your life? You've got to surrender. And I'll tell you, 99% of the time when you do this, there will be tears involved. Because it hurts like crazy. It's hard to let go of what you want so desperately. And to really trust God. One of those exercises, you know, where they, some guy behind you says, just fall back. And you got to trust them. That's hard to do. It's really, that's, that's the essence of what we're talking about today. But if you will surrender today as a believer in Jesus Christ, you'll feel, your mind will scream, the devil will yell at you, you're a loser, you're a loser, what an idiot, if you do this, you're gonna lose, but I promise you, God is faithful. He will not let you lose. If you will humble yourself, he will lift you up. If you'll let go of what you're trying to hang on so desperately, he'll finally give you. But it starts with complete surrender this morning. So my question is, are you dead yet? This is the lost message of Christianity. If people truly consider them, themselves crucified with Christ, there'd be no one complaining about how they were treated. There would never be any churches splitting up and Christians getting angry. There'd be a 0% divorce rate. No one would ever complain at my church. I don't like the message. I ain't getting fed at my church because they'd be too concerned about feeding others. They would live crucified with Christ. This is ultimately what we're missing today. And we need to keep speaking about it. We need to keep reminding ourselves about it. We're about to take communion. We're going to reflect on this question. Ask yourself as you're taking communion today is, am I crucified? Have I surrendered? And if you're here this morning and you've never taken even that first step of trusting God in your life, 
If you're willing to turn away from what you know is wrong in your life and put your faith in Christ, you can get in on this wonderful, glorious freedom that comes from surrender. Where you say, you know, I'm going to surrender my own life and I'm going to start trusting God in my life. I want him to forgive me of my sins and give me a new life. He'll do that this morning if you'll trust him by faith. I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer. I'm going to invite everybody to pray this prayer with me. If you will pray this prayer as we all pray this together and you will mean this, you can begin your life of faith this morning. Let's pray. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. That you love me so much. You went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.